my spidey senses tingling. Hello. He once won an award in grammar school for being the best altar server. And he serves our hearts. He's Slim, the host of the Paper Keg Podcast, episode 110. That is fact. That is a real life. Uh, hashtag the flap. Welcome to the show, uh, paperkeg.com. 35,000 followers on Tumblr. This is no joke. We're no jokes. Uh, we talk about comic books, industry news. We'll do a book club. Usagi Yojimbo Volume 2. Welcome to the show. Well, this is your first time listening, so we'll introduce the hosts uh, so that you're not totally in the dark. Uh, I'm zeroed in right now on our VP of merch. He's currently wearing what looks to be a 1997 Eagles sweatshirt. Uh, he's a father. He reads comics a lot in his free time. It's all he does. In my free time. When he's not drinking. Dale underscore A, you're a Twitter celeb. You get faves from comic book creators all the time. How do you do it? Welcome to the show. I consistently judge my self-worth on uh, such tweets and activity. So I got to keep it going. Else I, uh, you know, just drive, drive off a bridge or something. And I love paper keg. Just want to say that up front. <laughs> yeah. Get it out there before you drive off that bridge. Uh, looking like he has just risen from the dead. He has not seen the sun in two decades. Oh, my Lord. You look tremendous this evening. You're a comic book writer. You write comic Alleged. books. Alleged. Um, you got a brand new mic set up tonight. It looks like you're going to re- hit your record button on like your mm-hmm. next number one single. He looks uh, like a uh, a baby bird being fed by his mother. <laughs> Get in there. Get that regurgitation in there. Uh, oh, God. Just ripe for the photoshopping. Jonesy loves beer. Welcome back to Paper Keg. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, this is the Keurig room of the home. Uh, different location for me, but I feel like my feng shui continues in a positive direction. Very, uh, very treat Williams in dead heat. Tonight, Jonesy. That's <laughs> what he goes for every day. That's what he strives for. Uh, special guest host this evening, setting the comic book community aflame with his reviews. Exclusive reviews. Can't talk about him anywhere else. He loves wearing great hats, and I'm very jealous of his hats. He's legendary essayist. Penuch, on the Twitter. Welcome to the show. It is good to finally be here. This is wow. history. History in the making. I, I think it's fair to say the public demanded 
uh, such an appearance, and they didn't even know what you sounded like or could sound like on a, on a podcast. But they demanded. Yeah, demanded. I think we. When when was the first time? Let's go back into the time machine, Panooch. Uh, when was the first time that you realized you loved paper keg? That's what the people <laughs> want to hear specifically. Well, let's be honest right now. Which paper keg are we talking about? <laughs> paper because, keg original recipe. Because from the beginning, I found paper keg by finding paper keg west. Well, we're sorry. Disclaimer. Wow. Wow. That's Look right. At that. Um, regular customer of the comic book shop, I saw a flyer for paper keg. I went in search with no with no further knowledge, and um, the iTunes logo for Paper Keg West was closer to the bumper sticker, hmm. and so I you know I made the connection. I downloaded the first episode. I deleted the first episode. <laughs> And then and then I went back to the comic book shop and I said, "What am I doing wrong?" And, I, and then I got I got pointed in the right direction. And that's that's where the love began. Mm-hmm. The hot, intense, fiery love. And then shortly after that, you you worked the love of paper keg into a a strengthening career in writing about comic books that you do now. I did. Is that I the did. Trajectory. That is about that is about the trajectory. Uh, the comic book venture was a solo venture. Paper Keg was a community outlet for, you know, this new hobby. And then, you know, through diving further and further into it, I, I you know, nobody else was inviting me on the show. I had to put my opinion somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I think he's the LeBron James of the the comic local comic book podcast circuit. Right. There is a, there is a is podcast hot. circuit. Guy's hot like fire. You got the echo riffs and the flaps and the and the uh, the ancillary characters podcast. I mean, even hell, even Jonesy has been on that show, right? <laughs> even, Jonesy, do you even the that lowest of the low. Count Count Jonesy. <laughs> uh, my my appearance on that show was so great. A Christian fundamentalist wrote about how terrible I was to be exposed I mean, to the mass media. You'll never be able to top that moment. I think we can no, all I, safely agree. I still think fondly on that. So we'll hear more from Panooch, uh, legendary comic essayist on the internet. How about uh, last week, for the first time ever, Dale underscore A sat down in the editing booth. He was cutting tape. He was gluing it back together. Uh, what was that experience like, Dale, for the first time ever? First of all, I'd like to apologize. Um, you know, it was my first time. I was mega nervous. And I basically went in sli- with knowing Slim was sitting at the San Diego airport. And I wasn't, I wasn't about to bug him by, like, making him text me pages worth of instruction. So I just went in head first. And I, f- I kind of, you know, like a blind man at an orgy, <laughs> I just kind of had to feel my way around. I figured it, I picked it up pretty quickly, except the fact that GarageBand ravages the resources right on my mac ravages i mean the i full disclosure the uh last one third of the show except for the very ending i just stopped trying to edit because i <laughs> made i made a few minor edits probably twice but didn't hit save after them twice and garageband just totally just froze up on me but 
I liked the experience, and I would be I would do it again. I'm not so sure Slim feels comfortable enough uh, with me driving the paper keg quality name into the ground, but I would be glad to do it on the off chance. I will. I would full disclose. The uh, you know in the show notes so people know your show that. notes were legendary and when I was listening back if we want to continue the naked gun jokes I had to be like a midget at a urinal and stay on my toes while I was listening to that podcast right you didn't know didn't know what was gonna happen first thing he I had he to, listened I had to stay he's, at the ready he's like great job uh, by the way did you do everything wrong in the, uh, <laughs> during the editing of the show because. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry, but we got it, it all worked out. Yeah, it was. I mean, we're all gravy now. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, Jonesy's turn is this week. Great. And <laughs> Panooch, I can't wait to ruin your first appearance on Paper Cake. And just so shortly after showing you the secret Paper Cake handshake, did we get any uh, news over the wire? Dale underscore A. Any hot news items? Well, uh, the hot news is just first, real quick, before I probe you. Me. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to a big friend of the show, Chris Somney, Eisner Award winning penciler, mm, legend for his work on Daredevil and the Rocketeer Cargo of Doom, a recent Paper Keg book club uh, feature, and uh, and the rest of the Eisner winners as well. But Chris Somney is like to us. I mean, he you don't get much higher. I think we would all agree. But I, uh, one man was in San Diego this weekend, and I, you know, screw the announcements, screw the Batman, Superman, fart noises, and everything else. I wanted a, a firsthand account of Slim's experience in San Diego this year. That's that's the news. That's you're, what you want. News, man. Are you sure you're ready, for, ready. The, for that news? Uh, let's see. It was good. It was a lot of fun. Weather was fantastic. It was like 70 degrees. I needed a like winter coat the first night I was there. I thought it was going to snow. Um, so we did this Comixology, did this blank, hashtag blank page project with the Hero Initiative. So we, we had this big canvas that we invited some creators to draw on, and we're going to auction it off on eBay, I think, to help out uh, the Hero Initiative and all the creators. And that event was bonkers. I had, um, I was taking pictures and posting to the account. Walt Simonson was there. Simonson, however you want to call it. Mm. Legend. Kevin Eastman he, stopped and by. And he's the one I think you confirmed he drew Beta Ray Bill. Yes. Oh, man. I did confirm that. He uh, showed up with his wife was there, too. Uh, Kevin Eastman appeared out of nowhere, was drawing some turtles on the board, the big board. Jerry Ordway. You ever heard of him? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's see. Bruce Tim showed up out of the corner of my eye and was like, holy F, Bruce Tim is here. That's what I said to myself. And I started snapping pictures like a paparazzo. Um, and I, the only reason I was able to do that is I got one of those Mophie, not Mophie packs, this Lenmar, uh, show sponsor Lenmar, battery pack case. They made it all happen. Because without this thing, my phone would have been dead. So what happened was my phone was dying, so I flipped on my battery case, and uh, it started charging up the phone. Um, I met uh, Corey Walker, was walking by the Comixology <laughs> booth, so I was like, so when I see a creator, 
I think I said this last time. What I do is I just point at them and say their name. And then I, that like starts a conversation all creepy like. So he's walking by. I was like, Cory Walker. And he's like, yeah, hey. So I, was, I chatted with him for a few minutes. And then I mentioned that uh, I had his Fear Agent ash can in my backpack. Which I'm not sure if he likes to talk about anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm curious. <laughs> so, <laughs> He'd be like, throw it in the garbage. I think I even mentioned that I was trying to look out for Remendo, but I, I don't, I don't know if what terms they're on. I'm sure, that pleased his ears. Yeah, really. He's probably like, but throw I, it in the ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned. Uh, well, I, I think I specifically mentioned. I asked him if he had a booth, but he he said no. So I was like, all right, I don't want to take up any of your time. I saw you walking, so you know, go walk around. I pretty much just like kicked him out of the area because I didn't want to be the guy that drags out a conversation uh seth green walked through our booth to avoid people real nice seth green it's very, nice one. It's very short um i saw loki walk by the actor that played loki wow hiddleston higgleston oh yeah. yeah tom hiddleston tom yeah he's more an like, amazing dresser more like wanna... hiddleston you know what i'm saying <laughs> he's an amazing dresser he was wearing like a size small dress shirt and maybe size 20 dress slacks. What? And he looked dynamite. Absolutely dynamite. Um, who else did I see? I saw that Boreanis angel, David Boreanis. He walked by. How did, how's he been aging? Ooh. Fantastic. Guy looks like uh, so he hasn't bones. aged a day over 35. Um, Man. That is, I mean, we went to... I think last year I said that we went we went to this like Hyatt party that was like total madness. There wasn't a like specifically madness party that I went to, but it was a good time having uh, some Long Islands after the long con day and unwinding and chatting with folks. It was a great time. Could have been me. I was texting you and Jonesy Could've during the con. What were some of the texts? Were there any good ones that I texted you? I think I saw Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire at this outside of this restaurant that we ate at. Yeah, that was probably my favorite. And I, they're just trying yeah. to talk privately to themselves. Yeah, the camera like, like it was exactly over Jeff Lemire's <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> there may or may not have been a photo to to provide proof that I saw them. Uh, oh, John Cassidy, I saw. Good grief. Just chatting with him. Oh. Um, I think I texted you to that one, too. Yes, you did. I'm trying to think what else <clears throat> you texted me. Go through the scroll live. through that, those chat logs to see. Uh, I didn't have any time to go see like a creator's table. Um, but by Sunday, I was just so exhausted and miserable from standing up that I just wanted to go lay down like on the floor at the booth. Like in front of everybody, I would have been perfectly fine with laying on the con floor. <laughs> so and, you were working on all. That's pretty gross. Usually, you get like a, just a couple hour shifts, right? But you must have been hustling. Well, yeah, we I think we had like a, maybe like two shifts out of the day, so maybe like an eight hour, nine hour standing shift chatting uh, with people. Oh, wait a minute! Biggest news that come across your lap and into my text. Paper keg listener Tim stopped by <laughs> to say hello to Slim. Yeah. And Jonesy and I, that was cool. Which up, was Tim? really great. He, uh, he, I think he like looked. He went over to me and he did my movie. He said, "Slim, 
And then like question mark was pointing at me and I was like, yes. And he said that he dug the podcast and then I was like, how'd you know it was me? And then he, he said that I was wearing the hat that I wore in the logo. Amazing. And he said hello to uh, Jonesy and Dale underscore A. You know, that was for you guys. That's specifically. That is awesome. I, I got tingles when you told me that and I, I'm getting tingles again thinking about it. That's just completely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Panooch, what was the last con you were at? Uh, the non-existent one, as in I've never been to. You've never been to a Comic-Con? I've never been to a Comic-Con. I lived in New York for four years, and I'd intended to go, and and every year it was uh, the week before, and passes were sold out, and... Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, and then God help us. Sarah and, and, you know, the crew at, at, at the comic book shop are trying to get me to come to Baltimore Con. Baltimore Con. That's a nice low-key convention. That's what I hear. About mm-hmm. the creators, right? It's about the creators. That's correct. Not about they, David Boreanaz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can be if you want it to. I mean, Maybe he's got Virgil that show Bones. There. That show Bones is a verified Sealy Booth. I've never even watched that show Bones before. Is it any good? It it used to be good. Now it's kind of poopy. I, that's one of the shows I watch with my wife. We watch together. What's the show that has Nathan Fillion on it? It's Castle. Castle. Is that any good? Castle's great. <laughs> Jonesy is you can insulted. clip that audio. Why, why are you like literally angry at me for ne- having never watched it? <laughs> Usually, you immediately go into some Nathan Fillion trolls whenever. Well, he's got he's up. added some weight. He's definitely added some weight on his frame since Firefly days. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see him naked or in some kind of skin suit just to <laughs> confirm my suspicions. Uh, San Diego suit. San Diego was a great time. I took the red eye back, and I didn't sleep because I was in the middle seat, and it was oh terrible. Oh, my God. That's awful. Awful. Mm. Agustin was right next to you talking your ear off. No, he was on a different flight. Telling you about his Android device that can Google oh, television man. or whatever. 90% of our listeners don't even know who that is. Agustin <laughs> on the Twitter, Jonesy. Uh, inside baseball. Dear friends. Man. The very inside podcast baseball. Um, but it was a great time. Our great ghost time. Tim, our San Diego listener. He just shut. He just shut off the iPad and threw it out the window into the river, <laughs> never to download or listen again. It's always me that come, brings the show to a halt. <laughs> Hashtag least, the flap. Least favorite podcast host in show history. Uh, but maybe we should also say that our we're we're running we'll go over way mm. over time here. Uh, this is special. Barcade. Paper Keg's second ever meetup is happening Saturday. Panooch looks like he's sleeping. Um, he will be there. I Guest will. of honor, Panooch. Uh, Sav, what, is, what night is it? Saturday night, 7 p.m., Barcade, Frankfurt Ave. Oh, yeah. Historic uh, Frankfurt Ave. Right in the heart of Fishtown. And we're going to try to make it something special if uh you do come i'm coming to introduce yourself to everybody we're all mm-hmm. a bunch of cool guys and uh you know we want to meet uh if you're coming out you know we don't know you right i'll be wearing an obnoxiously large brimmed hat wolverine. probably my, my new wolverine hat which i can't find i would have worn it for this show it's gone already it's in it's the, trash. the zoo it's still at the zoo oh, it's in geez. your son's toy box most lately <laughs> he's wiping his rear end with it right now <laughs> uh let's get into the comic talk right now if we can. Uh, yeah. J- Jonesy loves beer. Living cadaver. Uh, what did you read this week? Uh, Hawkeye Annual, number one. It's been lighting the interwebs aflame. Uh, you know, it stars this character, Hawkeye. 
who in this instance is the Kate Bishop version of Hawkeye. No, a nice, pleasant young lady uh, who shoots the bow and arrow and in her spare time probably logs on the Tumblr and has all of the feels because uh, her characterization in this issue is... I don't know how Fraction is able to dial into the modern social media savvy uh, young woman about town, but I think Matt Fraction might secretly be a woman who's controlling a Matt Fraction puppet robot because he speaks with such a uh, dialed-in voice. Uh, The issue, I mean... To today's woman, yeah. The the story, I mean, it's pretty uh, cut and dry. Uh, Kate Bishop is out on her own. She has a fight with uh, Clint Barton, decides to be a West Coast Avenger, only she's got to make it on her own. She has no money. She has no means out there. She kind of gets cut off from her father and from her team. And then, uh, you know, a villain from the previous run, Madame Mask, shows up and is going to take her down. And, uh, you know, (laughs) superhero stuff continues. And I won't, you know, I won't even spoil it. But uh, it was just what caught me, what struck me so much about this issue was Matt Fraction's ability to basically take Mandy Boo and make her Hawkeye. And then I believed it so clearly i mean what a great issue at mandy boo on the twitter check her out what what would happen if uh you either had to spoil it or jigsaw would keep you in the contraption you're currently in to record this podcast (laughs) neck angled what would you do i mean because you are in the iron maiden of podcasting setups over there. If I go like this, I kind of look like a fat Bane. (laughs) (laughs) But we are both initiated. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) let's bring it back to Hawkeye right now. Uh, I I think, was it Javier Pulido on art? Yes. I actually, his art, I usually love his art. Did anybody else read this? Uh, Panooch, you read this? It's sitting here, but not yet. Page through it if you can to get a brief idea of what I'm about to say. Polito does this weird shadow trickery when he's drawing. So, like, characters are all shadows in Mm. many panels. But it happens in broad daylight, and it doesn't make any sense. It's like it was a time-saving trick that he used in the entire issue. It it totally took me out of the story. But, I mean, I get it in, like, some some of his previous work, and I think it was cool and, like... I was like, okay, these characters are shadows. But it happens like three times a page where characters that are speaking are just shadows. The the background is there, but the characters are not. It was really odd. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It does. I'd like to read, you know, just to get to envelop myself and see if it makes a little more sense. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to forgive because it's Hawkeye right off the bat. Mm-hmm. That guy was up. That, that was up for a couple of uh, Eisners, unfortunately. You know, and I think it won for what? It was a tie between Somni and Aja, wasn't yeah. it? For Penciler? Yeah. I was there when Somni won. Did I tell you that? Work. I was there. That's right. You were at the Eisners. I was at the Eisners eating, if you can get that music queued up, uh, <laughs> I was eating probably the most delicious meal I've ever had at an award show. Which was? Uh, chicken. Me and you, Slim. In those dreams, 
move on if you wait too long. Who is that? Michael McDonald? Billy Ray Cyrus, friend. How do both of you know who that who sings that I, song? I've never heard of that song in my life. I wonder if this look of disinterest on Panucci's face is how he feels when he <laughs> listens to us, <laughs> and he's not a host of the show. Let's get him into it right now. Panooch, legendary essayist. What's what's your personal Tumblr blog URL? What is that? Uh, that is what's what comicbooks.tumblr. We just killed it right now. The site's down. It literally just <laughs> crashed. <laughs> Flooded under the, the weight. Of our YouTube stream, which probably won't be playing on mobile devices. Thank you to Michael Ray Cyrus <laughs> tonight. <laughs> Michael Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Next of kin. Uh, Pinnage, what did you read? Uh, this week I checked out Hunger Number 1 from Joshua Fialkov and mm. Leonard Kirk. Um, I did not read Age of Ultron, disclaimer. So that banner, that banner at the bottom of the of the of the cover, I guess, was a I don't know. I looked at it and I shrugged because I I'm a big fan of Fialkov. I think he's done a lot of awesome stuff, and I was excited to see this looking, from what I can tell, at least after this first issue, seemingly an event book, um, though it's not being pitched that way. So uh, in in Hunger Number One, which I'm not sure quite why when this book was solicited they would not release the name or cover image um but anyway it spins out of uh age of ultron and the first page it lets you know basically the time stream has been damaged and Uh-oh. the lead character in this is rick jones and rick jones has become the protector of the universe um and it opens up with a little inner monologue from rick jones saying that He's sick and tired of having to be the protector of the universe. He just wants to have some fun. He shows up at a burger joint, and he's he's leaving his post. Um, so he shows up at this burger joint. He just wants to have some awful fast food. And the watcher takes over the employee at the at the counter of the burger joint and starts Where's speaking sp- starts speaking through. Right, guy just wants a burger. Yeah, really. Um, starts speaking through the the employee about how he needs to return to his post, and there is no time for this. And eventually, he gets thrown back into space, and he shows up in the middle of a Chitari, and the Chitari, the Chitari and Cree space war, and they've been. Oh, wow, fighting they don't even call them. They don't even call them scrolls. No, they are specifically called Chitari, which I found very interesting. Which, again, that was... Recently, I saw that they were villains in an issue of Nova. Wow. Hmm. So they're pulling it in. It's where they just kind of shoehorned an ultimate universe thing right into the main universe. Well, and that's the thing. So so one of the big, uh, I guess, signs that you're in the ultimate universe is that everything's not in caps lock. (laughs) <laughs> or that you are, and so so, that's you know this book apparently is taking place in the Ultimate Universe, though it's not labeled no. as an Ultimate Comics book. Well, but... wait a minute. Mm-hmm. No. Oh no. Oh wait. Oh, actually, yeah, because you didn't read Age of Ultron, right? Um, maybe maybe they say it, or maybe you already figured it out. But Ultron uh, is shifted to the Ultimate Universe Galactus. at the end of Age of Ultron. Galactus. Or, yes. 
Galactus. Right. right. No, I, I I read up on that so that I knew what was going on. Spoilers. Um, spoilers. That's how the book ends. Everyone. Issue one. Um, it's it's so essentially he he comes he witnesses this this attack. The Watcher is basically now talking through him. So it's one character going back and forth with himself, and and um, witnesses basically spoilers. Galactus climbing through in a temporal flux into the ultimate universe. Mm. So that's how the first issue ends. And there's a little back matter from Fialkov saying that essentially he's been given the reins to write this ultimate universe um, forever changing event that's going to impact all the other ultimate books. And um, apparently is being tied in initially already in his run on the ultimates. But again, it's it's strange because there's nothing on this book that you would know that it was an Ultimate mm. Universe book. Weird. Yeah, that's like a sly... I wonder if they did that on purpose in some weird way because you may be I mean, it's taking a chance universes. on... Yeah, yeah, taking a chance on Ultimate Sales and stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just wonder. The reasoning. But the, it was um, good. I, I would say the biggest the biggest thing about this was um the art. The art between Leonard Kirk and Jesus, I'm not even going to pretend to know the last name, Abertov? I tried. Oh, yeah. uh, the the art and colors for those two, I mean, the book has, I think, at least two uh, double-page spreads uh, out in space with the two sides fighting, and it's just absolutely gorgeous to look at. It has the Marvel Now red banner at the bottom, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, this is a mini. This is a five-issue story. Okay. He's doing good stuff on Ultimates. I haven't read Ultimates in a while, but I picked up his first two issues, and they were pretty good. Mainly because I think, or partially, they had the artist that was doing the Punisher Warzone miniseries. Mm. Yeah, it's a little space jargony, um, but nothing. It's more like, I would say, space jargony in the way that Brian Wood's Star Wars is a little technical and not so much in a Hickman, I don't mm. follow what's going on yet. Sort the of end language. is the now, is the beginning, <laughs> but not until it begins can it end. Uh... Mm-hmm. I just wonder, I have to wonder what, if Fialkov is able to handle something like this, I have to wonder what he would have done had he been able to stay on the Lantern books at DC. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He did, um, he did that... Um, Alpha miniseries that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Dale underscore A. <clears throat> I read The Reason for Dragons. It is a graphic novel from Archaea. And it centers on a young gentleman named Wendell who has a stepfather who is, uh, is nothing like Wendell. Wendell is kind of like a nerd he uh, likes nerdy things, D&D, whatnot. And his stepfather, Tony, is like a motorcycle mechanic. And you sort of find out that his father, it looks like maybe was some sort of pilot or war hero, and he's he has since passed. And he's always dreaming about, uh, you know, what, you know, he's got ideals in his head about what his father was. And, you know, he tries to emulate those the, the positive I don't know uh, the positive aspects that I think he uh, his father had 
And, you know, his his stepdad's really nice and, and whatnot. He just doesn't really click with Wendell. Like, Wendell's clumsy and he kind of, like, knocks over his uh, stepdad's motorcycle while he's trying to teach him how to change the oil and stuff like that. Goes for a walk and these bullies come up to him. He's, like, Wendell's 16, by the way, or, or so, 16 or so. And these bullies make him sort of venture off into these aban- this abandoned Renaissance fair that had a big fire years ago. And... Wendell uh, is kind of forced to go get like a piece of uh, a pamphlet from the Renaissance Fair to you know, or they won't let him come back out. So he stum- he goes into the Renaissance Fair and he stumbles across this knight who is in full kit, like plate armor, a tabard, sword, and he's talking like he is a knight, or is he just a crazy guy who never stopped working at the Renaissance Fair? And he is convinced there's a dragon kind of plaguing the woods and the fair and the fairgrounds. And Wendell doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't know whether to believe the knight is, you know, cockamamie or if he's telling the truth in some sick way. And it, what it turns out is to be just this great story about how this guy, who may or may not have, you know, been the real deal. I don't know, just helps Wendell gain self-confidence and, stand, you know, helps him kind of stand up for himself. And, and at the end, there's there's basically, there is a dragon confrontation. Now, I still, I'm still kind of teetering on whether the dragon was real or not, but the knight was convinced that he had to slay this dragon in order to save the world, and that's how he could go back to, you know, whatever he was up to. So they slay the dragon, and Wendell helps a great deal. He st- he stands up. I mean, he steals. At some point, he like takes the his father's uh, or stepfather's motorcycle to, because he's so convinced he needs to help the knight. And I don't know. It's just at the by the end, <coughs> this this whole vehicle, this whole plot was just so. Wendell and his stepfather Tony could just kind of like level with each other and and hug and embrace and kind of kind of get over that hump where it was weird before where you know he wasn't Wendell's dad and and things were just awkward and it was just really I mean that the last page when when stepdad hugs Wendell is just like super emotional it was it was a beautiful story and I would recommend anybody pick this up it's a beautiful archaea hardcover and you know it's it's up for debate I guess it's up to your you know your own opinion on what the how you interpret the story, but by the end you don't care. It's just like Wendy's kind of went Wendy Wendell. I don't know. He's just feeling good. He's confident, and he's his relationship with his stepdad is just a hundred times better. And it was a beautiful a beautiful book. Um, let me just give props your, to the team. What's your hardcover collection looking like these days? That's got to be like your eight hundredth edition. I got to get a new bookshelf from IKEA. Good God. Ikea shelves can handle that? Don't they, like, buckle in the center? I will see. Double we'll shelf it? It's not, it's not this cheap fiberboard stuff. It's a little step oh above my. that, at least. Mm. Uh, Chris Northrop, Jeff Stokely, and Colors by Chris Northrop and Andrew Elder. Just, a, I mean, a really gorgeous book. And the hardcover in the comic shop, 20 bucks. The UPC code on the back is uh, made to look like little swords. I saw that picture. Pointing up and down. Cool. Amazing. It's just, now, a, it's just a beautiful book. If When you went into the comic book shop, be honest right now, 
Did you know about this book or did you see a hardcover from Arkea and you bought it without even knowing what was inside? <laughs> I, uh, I knew about the book, but only from hours previous, you know, when the new release solicits come out or whatever. Uh, but I, I, but I, as soon as I hit the comic shop, it was kind of out of my mind. I wasn't expecting to look for it, but then, you know, I always hit the hardcovers over at the shop and I, and there it was on the top shelf. It was, it was so cool. So cool. It's such a cool read. Beautiful. We are grossly uh, running out of time this week. Special guest. That's fine. You know, it's... Um, My book of the week was something from years past. Chris Claremont writing Uncanny X-Men issue 444 with Jonesy's dear friend Alan Davis on art. So this was added to the app. I think there's a collection. Maybe this is being reprinted or something. It's usually how it works. Um, But it opens up with none other than a baseball game happening at Xavier's Mansion. Not only that, there's there's one that I meant to tweet. That was just this bizarre panel. Uh, Let's see if I can find it. But it opens up. They're playing baseball. Um, White Queen is taking is swinging the bat as they do in baseball um wolverine's playing uh what looks to be shortstop just wearing jeans he's not wearing a shirt not wearing shoes the guy is an animal he doesn't even play baseball in shoes uh so so cyclops wearing an obnoxious uh hat with the x symbol on it i don't know how did they even make those does xavier just get those printed up and <laughs> he, he had to go get an iron out and get an insert uh let's see why are you on Storm's team, Wolverine? Isn't your place here with the Institute? I make my own place, bub. <laughs> Just like I choose my own friends. What's that supposed to mean? Stay focused. We're playing a game out here. <laughs> so, oh, wow. I mean, wow. It, reading it and knowing what year it came out, it feels like totally out of place. And I don't even think this run that he did on X-Men was that long. I think he got kicked off. But it it reads like a book that he could have easily done with John Byrne in the eighties. Like is this, the this enemy was like a arcade? John Byrne script. What's that? Do they get captured by arcade? Maybe is there arcade in it in any way? <laughs> no, he doesn't show up. But this is around the era where he'd launched that extreme X Men book with B, uh, Bishop and Sage, mm-hmm. and then uh, so they they were I guess they were called the XSE at some point in this, like this uh, Xavier's security something or other. Oh, God. Um, Hence the hats. That's why you need hats. <laughs> oh, there you that's go. That's how you know it's their badge. But um, what I forgot was that in that Extreme X-Men series, he did a second part of God Loves, Man Kills, which I think we talked about briefly, the sequel, that I, that just didn't have any chance of reaching the level that the first one did, but... It's just interesting to read Claremont's newer X-Men stuff, and it's just like identical to something he could have wrote in the 80s, which I actually adore. It's just weird, that kind of parallel. Wheelchair of merch. Charles Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lightning round. Two sentences or less. The most popular segment in the history of the show, the direct opposite of our live corpse uh, talking into some kind of metal face mask of death. Um, who started the show off? Was it you, Jonesy? Do you want to do your lightning I. round? Uncanny issue number two. The 
beautiful storm of superhero and Ocean's Eleven fades into some hardcore world building. I don't think I'll be back for issue three. Dakin lives forever in my heart. Ah, ah, ah. Batman Superman number two. Mm. Greg <laughs> Pak, Jay Lee. No Ben Oliver this time. Some of the best art that is coming out in monthly comics right now. I have to be honest. I wish it was on a different story. Oh, God. Rebuttal. Oh, okay. Avery Fatbottom, Renaissance Fair Detective. <laughs> New Monkey Brain title. 99 cents. A. Avery uh, takes over the management of a Renaissance Fair and tries to live her life as well. She brings a date. They walk around the fairgrounds. For 99 cents, I don't think I could have had a better time reading this slice of life. How many sentences was that? <laughs> Panooch, you never come back on the show again. Uh, lightning side story. I talked with the creator of that comic at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, here we go. Invincible Universe. The series so far. A great, enjoyable little window into the invincible universe spanning many characters that you would love to read more stories of Usagi Yojimbo volume 2 by Stan Sakai uh, by way of Fantagraphics and Dark Horse Comics etc uh first ever book club that we've gone back to volume 2. Yeah, this is this is pretty serious. I mean, 109 episodes previous, not one volume 2 or continued uh series. First time it's ever happened in the history of the show. Uh Jonesy, are you prepared? Can you reach the level of this volume with a synopsis? Is it possible? I will not meander and I will get right to the point. So here we go. Yusagi Volume 2 is a collection of one-shot stories. Uh, now that the groundwork has been laid with Usagi's origin, we go to some serious Stan Sakai morality play, funny little lessons that he teaches with his characters. Uh, the first is the origin of Spot, uh, Usagi's uh, small wizard companion. There's a story where a old woman, an old, venerable, respectful woman, is the mother of a gangster, and Usagi gets involved in that. Uh, there's a tale where he faces a kitsune, a fox demon of Japanese lore. There's a great story with him and uh, Gensuke, the rhino, uh, before Usagi cut off his horn, kind of like a little romp they go through. And finally, uh, the last story touches back to, you know, his kind of love interest uh, 
um, and a favor he does for her while on the road. Uh, a great collection of one-shot stories that illustrates why Stan Sakai storytelling and Usagi Yojimbo is so great. Usagi Yojimbo Volume 2. Which is really a... Vo- it might be Volume 3 or Book well, 2. Vo- it's Volume 1, Issues 7 through 12. Mm. Yeah, try and track Panuch, that down. you're an essayist. You're a legendary, uh, soon-to-be award-winning, I can feel it, essayist <laughs> in the the medium. And is this your first time reading Usagi? Did you go back to read the 1 through 6? I did. This is, Yes, this is my first time reading it. I had to go back to read to catch up so I knew what came first. Um, so it was... Uh, Two separate sittings, but pretty much consecutive. Um, I I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot of this. I, I thought Uh-oh. I thought that each of the stories was pretty pretty enjoyable. You know, the, I think there were some better than others. I think um, I think I was more impressed with the art. Um, and how, I don't want to say minimalistic because I think that that gives the wrong impression, but it almost feels like newsprint comics in, in how there's not a ton of, of additional detail. The, the grids are, are sort of, uh, pretty restrained in, you know, what they're depicting. Um, but there's so many instances in the book where one of the characters is traveling and so there'll be a wide, so it takes up the whole length of the of the page. Um, there'll be a wide landscape shot, and you'll just see like a bit of a silhouette of the character, and you get a full feel of of the landscape. And I, I really enjoyed those. Seem to show up in almost every issue. I liked the bits that were very sort of subtle that tied things together. Whether it was a character that showed up again, or uh, Usagi talking about where he was headed, and then in the next issue he would be in that town. Things like that. That you felt like this was a continuous story, even though most of the issues could be picked up and read in any order. Um, I felt like I enjoyed the standalone stories at the end of Volume 1 a little bit more because I felt like they balanced well with also getting sort of a complete arc in the first few issues, where as much as I enjoyed the single stories here... I. I felt like the weight of of this collection of issues was a little lessened by by there not being an, any narrative that connected them. Um, and I also was confused, and tell me if you guys noticed this, but I was confused in, in when I reached the final issue that one of the things that I think is pretty interesting about Usagi is that there's not a ton of um, visible violence while there is a lot of sword fighting and, and attacks, there's a like a thought bubble that will pop up above a character's head that almost looks like a skull or something that, that signifies that they've been killed. And But I felt like the the visible level of, of violence um, became a little bit more realistic in the, in the final issue where the ninja uh, attacked and Usagi had to, to search out for that sword. Um, it just seemed like I, I don't know. It was almost like they were going for something a little bit more graphic, a little bit more intense. And it just, it begged the question for me, who is this for? Is this meant to be read by adults, by kids? I think 
and I think this might have been a discussion you had in the past, but I think with the the animals and, and like I said, a lot of the violence being sort of restrained, it plays a little friendlier, but then this final issue seemed to betray that. So on the whole, I enjoyed it, but I did have some issues with it more so than I would have with the first volume. First question, uh, why do you hate Stan Sakai so much? I mean, Can you elaborate <laughs> a little bit on that question? Jonesy, I think Jonesy just killed himself. Jonesy's here I'm just look. I'm just gonna log off, and uh, you guys do what you gotta do. Uh, I will. I'll just say that the last issue was a little more. I think what 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 Stan tried to convey was how rigorous the fight was with this guy. So there was a lot more back and forth, a lot more panels devoted to one fight, whereas usually Usagi uh, is taking out a whole clan of bandits in two panels, or three panels. This, this book, 1988, man, I, no words, I got no words. Where were you in 1988? Were you starting your first year of high school, Dale? Uh, no, no, I was not. I'm not going to answer that um, question. I was eight years old, but I didn't know. I'm so glad that there, there's these to go back to. I mean, I don't know. It's just amazing. It's it it's authentic. It feels authentic. I feel like Stan Sakai really knows what the heck he's talking about, and I have no doubt that he, you know, in my mind that he probably absolutely does. And the the, the vocabulary, the mannerisms, the the one shot stories. I mean, you don't you don't get that. You ri- that's a rarity nowadays. Each issue being a one shot, telling a mm. whole story mm. of this wandering Ronin, mm. this wandering samurai, just finding you know finding rights or wrongs to right as he goes. The little uh, Tikago, Takago. The little lizard guy. Yeah. I thought that was... I mean, I didn't know his origin, but you almost you almost see him, the lizard, in, in almost nearly every, you know, shot of Usagi from, you know, for, for life. But it was cool to see him, and it, was, and it was kind of heartbreaking when he dismissed him to let him go live with the pig. Uh, that that was. was really ornery and crotchety. But... I don't know. I, I thought it was like it was beautiful. It was a beautiful story, and sure, I think maybe like sentence structure and thought bubbles and vocabulary maybe feels and reads a little old. Like he's stating the obvious because he's trying to convey something to the reader, but I don't think that takes away from this masterpiece. There's a there's a Usagi number one behind the counter at the comic book shop. It's like ten bucks or something. I sh- I just sh- I want to go there now. I want to drive there now. I'll be there Saturday, babe. I might scoop it up. Dale, what Buy are it. name five anthropomorphic books that you do not like? <laughs> I you got me, you got me there. I I don't I I honestly don't know if I could ever uh, say that. Still unbeatable. The top five has never been defeated. In the history of this podcast, I I think the anthropomorphism works so well in these stories where, you know, 
these these entanglements could turn out to be hyper violent, you know, ninja scroll type. I mean, they're using the same weapons like a ninja scroll, but it just the anthropomorphism just re- helps make the story digestible while not concentrating on the, the hyper violence that it, mm-hmm. that a samurai sword could convey. It's got humor. It's got you know, it's got emotion. The the old woman. Oh man, she what totally an issue. betrayed Usagi's Ooh. trust. Ah, I, I mean, I could, a, thought that was a great issue. Yeah, I understand her point of view. I guess she was a desperate woman, desperate to, you know, do her knew, knowing that the town deserved better than her rotten a son, but to to do at the expense of Usagi's trust. Stop. I mean, I I do see it as an all ages book. Uh, to answer Panucci's original question, who the who the book is for, and and you're right about the, like even all the sword stuff. You never see like a sword go into somebody. You always see someone kind of croak, mm-hmm. but they're like there was no visible insertion, right? Right uh, the, in their body with a knife. The last one when the. Uh, Usagi's woman friend like sticks the spear up. There is visible like entry and and blood, but right. I don't. I mean, it's not. It's not going to scare off. Right. That anyone. was yeah. That was rare. Yeah. Well, and that and that that's one that came to mind when I was talking about sort of seeing a little bit more in the last mm-hmm. issue because that's I think maybe a page or two later, one of the guards who's supposed to be watching the sword sort of rounds the bend and the ninja throws some stars and you you see the star <laughs> sticking in his head. And so, again, it was like one after another, and, and after so many issues, you know, the 11 previous, never really showing a thing, those two sort of coming one after another, that's just, to me, I, when I read those, I was sort of like, this seems out of touch with the rest of the series. Right. Jonesy, please uh, jump in here. Let's please, see. That was, the, that was the happy sigh. Uh, for, for 109 episodes, you guys got the upset sigh. That was the refreshed. <laughs> I just popped open a can of Usagi soda pop. And had yeah, it. Uh, listen, you, you worship at Usagi's little kimono shoe feet. I, if I do. could cosplay as Usagi, I would do it somehow. His um, lucky rabbit's feet. I mean, this is. I I never read Usagi Ojimbo until we did the volume one for episode fifty, and I always kick myself because I had missed out on it for so long. And picked the book up 20 years after it was starting to get published. And I actually read, I think, the entire first volume, which is 40-some issues, uh, like the following weeks after episode 50. Wow. So going back to read 7 to 12 was, it felt like coming home. Like, I I, you know, the stories were fresh to me now because I had, uh, you know, I'd forgotten most of the detail. And it was like rediscovering something beautiful for a second time. It's like forgetting the day your child is born, forgetting it all, and then getting to experience it again mm-hmm. for the first time. Just a majestic comic book series. When you talk about the all-time classic comic books that just speak to every generation and are timeless and speak to every kind of fan, whether you're a fan of superheroes or you're like Mrs. Beef and you're only a fan of like the oogly-boogly, artsy-fartsy comic books and, you know, this, that, and the third, uh, Usagi Ojimbo speaks to everyone. Uh, 
And these issues are the crown jewels of why that rings so true. And it, I'm not going to say it doesn't have faults. Panucci is right. There are some things you can nitpick, some things mm-hmm. that don't quite, quite jive well. But this volume just tells you it's like a representative of the whole. Like, the quality is going to be there. You could find, you know, something to nitpick in every issue of Usagi if you really wanted to. But the feeling you get after you read an issue is what Stan Sakai is trying to communicate, and he does that expertly. This And just to shower praise on Do the it. digital comics industry as a whole, we would, would probably have never went out of our way. I know I probably wouldn't have, if I, especially if I didn't have a comic shop to go to. But even then, you know, if, if Usagi's not, like, fresh on your brain when you would hit a comic shop, and if they didn't have, like, something like Usagi, where, you know, a lot of, I, I hear tell, you know, there are comic shops out there that only, that only sell, like, Marvel and DC books, currents. So, you know, th- this is the power to have these issues from 1988 accessible I mean that's this is just going to keep the Usagi legacy and and many legacies of many books but G G D Jonesy beautiful did you did your heart just crumble into a million pieces when you heard Panuch do his scathing well is this the last show you want him on you can tell me right now please I wish I hadn't showed him a secret handshake because now he can get back and go see Secret Paper HQ. Uh, I feel as no, though I, I need to clarify. I, I <laughs> and this isn't this isn't hashtag Jonesy backpedaling. <laughs> I think I I didn't communicate. I I enjoyed reading these. I, I I think that they're a lot of fun. I think that there's a, a an an excellent you know bit about sort of what Dale was saying. You know as far as sort of the sensation that you get and, and, and going along with it as well as what Jonesy was saying, the sensation that you get of reading a book like this and, and, you know, feeling that time period in it. And I think for me reading sort of the two volumes back to back and it opening so strongly where even while the first four issues are sort of individual stories, cause you're getting bits and pieces of how that first two page duel came to be. Um, it just, it opens so strong with those four issues. I was waiting to come back to that. And I think that that um, anticipation for some sort of connectivity may have uh, taken away from the single-issue stories. And I think that's one of the beauties about this series is that you could hand somebody any individual story and they don't need a whole lot to be able to get a lot out of that issue. But when you read you know, eight or ten one-shots in a row it begins to wear on you a little bit because you can't really feel the same enjoyment that the standalone story feels because you're moving one after one after one. And so I did think that, you know, that this volume was, you know, pretty solid. Like I said, um, I just, I think I had been spoiled or misled with the first four issues. And I, and I kept hoping to come back to something like that. Mm-hmm. My review, n- nobody, nobody really asked me my thoughts on it, but I'm going to give them anyway. I actually thought Panucci's scathing points or, or from earlier were pretty spot on that there were there was a definite lack of narrative in this collected version. But 
the same might not be said. Maybe there's like another three issues where something ties together or happens right after that. And I'm curious if Usagi in this collected form that we read it is how Stan Sakai wanted it to be read. Like I'm curious if how he wrote these, he wasn't thinking of, you know, I'm going to write, this will be the, the next year's worth of story or, like it does read as that kind of newspaper strip reel where it's just contained and there isn't really the like the journey is the story of Usagi and who knows how long that's going to take but but I definitely agreed with the the lack of narrative but I thought it was great like I wish I could I could just sit down and read these all the time mm-hmm. but this is another one of those where we said that I think I said this on the first time we read it and then I, this is the first time I've sat down to read Usagi since even though we loved volume one. And that's probably partially why we wanted to choose this book. But um, it was greatly enjoyable to see Jonesy, his heart shatter. And I think the his Usagi statue in his, in his, in his den just fell over mm-hmm. for no reason. Yeah. Nobody really knows why. A tear why. actually came out of the statue's eye like... Uh, like the Indian where Catholic the trash Church is miracles. thrown in front of him. Yeah. Dun, 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 you dun, are dun. the Usagi Indian in this episode. <laughs> I got a ragged kimono on. Uh, but yes, thank God for digital because I, I mean, I don't mm. even know if this book is even collected in print, or you just buy the singles. It's, Who knows? It's it's hey, I I know. I'll tell you right now. I know. Who knows? We'll save it for later. <laughs> uh, what a book club! When, I wonder what the next book will be that we go back to volume two. Do we have a catchy name for this yet? Going back to volume two. Oh wow, that is catchy. That is catchy. Usagi Yojimbo. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you, Panooch. Letters at paperkeg.com. You know, if you have the time, shoot us a letter. We'll pick the best of the bunch and read it on the era. Absolutely. Uh, letters of paperhag.com. Check it out. We've got one letter this week, folks, from uh, Christopher. First email ever. I know some of you were big Fear Agent fans. Are you engrossed in Uncanny Avengers? Just read number 10 and was blown away. What are your thoughts? Chris from one of the riffs. I don't know if that's some sort of. Is that some kind of is speculation? He a riff, is he an Echo Riff groupie? Do we ever come up with a name for the Echo Riff podcast groupies? I thought they were reefers. Aren't they reefers? <laughs> I think that's something else. <laughs> Rifters? Rifters? Grifters? Grifters is good. I am reading Uncanny Avengers. <clears throat> and I think issue 10 was the one that came out this week. And I've been looking forward to it. Can, I, can we just say Remendo's. We didn't talk about Cap this week's. Oh Captain my God! America. I didn't read it. 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 Um, I didn't read it. Uncanny <laughs> Avengers is cool. I think the one negative I have on it is I wish they would just stick with one artist. I wish Acuna would draw it forever. And I just I'm hearing now that McNiven is going to hop on for an arc, so I don't know where Acuna is going. Um, but this one, I think it's great. I think there there might be a little. T- if, I, if there was one negative outside of not the recurring art duties. I think he gets a little too um, deep talky, maybe a little too Hickman style sometimes with the Apocalypse Twins, and it takes me out of it. 
mm-hmm. where like I read it like for a, for a whole page and I think to myself, what the, did I finish this page? I don't mm-hmm. even remember. I, I like zone out. Um, but the bringing back of the dead for, to form the horsemen is cool. I'm really looking forward to Dakin, um, his interaction with Wolverine because, I mean, the last few issues of Uncanny X-Force were magical. The last issue where he kills Dakin, magic. Absolute magic. And it haunts me to this day. There's one panel by Phil Noto. Dear friend, it haunts me. There's a, Dear um, friend. I just caught up on that, too, because I almost gave up on Uncanny Avengers after the first arc. Uh, the Red Skull invades yeah. New York City arc, but I was told to stick with it, so I I've been grabbing them but not reading them. So I sat down to read. I guess what would it be five through nine, and um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that every once in a while I I, I have to reread a few pages because it does get a little too dense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mm-hmm. in that last issue, I didn't read this week's issue number ten, but that last issue, I think it opens with uh, uh revisiting the Dakin um yeah he recaps it a little bit for the yeah. reader and that was like I, part of me feels like it's only been you know so many issues if you kind of think of this as a as a continuation of that story to already be going back to that but at the same time going back to it so soon when i was looking at those pages it was like opening up an old wound i was like oh i'm not ready for this yet yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, even he said, like, I think even before he started Uncanny, where he he kind of said that this was his continuation of Uncanny X Force, right? Where he he had said that a lot of storylines would be kept up in this book, and that's what I was excited about. Um, but it's just like I want—I don't know why I could, just, the art changes distract me. Like Ramita has been on for this entire run, and then he's getting off after the Dimension Z run. I, I just wish they could keep Acuna on there or somebody just keep them on there for the entirety of like an arc or what have you. But there was some weird stuff with the timing of dimension Z and this issue. So if you're not caught up with dimension Z, do not read this issue. In fact, I probably wouldn't even recommend reading this issue until the next captain America issue comes out because this issue of uncanny Avengers. Yeah. Because <clears throat> cap, Ooh talks about the dimension C storyline and I'm kind of in my head I have things figured out a little bit and I was not ready for cap to talk about dimension Z in present day yet like I was like I don't want to I don't want I don't need to be emotionally reading this until I read the conclusion of dimension Z and that's not out yet so that'll be another month I'm not reading. I'm I'm not reading Captain America um, you're fired (laughs) off the show I like Uncanny Avengers too. It was gifted uh, a, a male subscription was gifted to me for Christmas. So I, I you know, we suffer greatly us uh, with the male subscriptions of any comic. I mean, they come so absurdly late that I end up just like uh, when it comes to the office, I redeem it and I just throw it in the Comicsology queue and I read like three or four chunks of issues at a time. So mm-hmm. I might be an issue or two behind, but I remember you know just taking the apocalypse twins and stuff like that on the chin i'm like this just just stick with it because i like the political intrigue the inner turmoil with rogue being all mouthy and janet being mouthy (laughs) so essentially you prefer to have your women characters read as mouthy sass i like which they love as a descriptor yeah women everywhere love the fact that they're called mouthy but i i so panuch 
if, if you is there a reason why you're not reading Cap, or you just haven't been interested to read it? I. He's that's one of those ones where it sounded like it would be read better as a full arc, as people were sort of very hesitant when it first came out, and it was so different. Um, I thought that I would probably want to read it as a full story, and and also sort of remove, you know, yourself from that you mm-hmm. know, Twitter buzz of of well, it's not another flashback. Yeah. Um, so I, I was waiting, and then of course I I don't know if it was this show or another one, but I know. I know where things went. Are there? So now I don't show? feel as though I really need to read it because <laughs> that I'm just going to be thinking about that the whole time I read it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely crying. spoiled it, so it was probably the yeah, show. It was me. I'm I wasn't so going to call you I'm out. I'm so thankful that they kept Ramita on there for the whole Dimension Z story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thankful. I'm thankful for Remender in general. I mean, every day I wake up and I. I touch my fear agent issues like I'm going out of the room. It's like a sports team. They just like tap the logo. You're like Notre Dame. You kiss it and then you slap yeah, it before you yeah. walk out. One day I'll get them to sign them. One day. That's, that's really a shame. I mean, you tote them across the country, and uh, that's that's a shame. I think it, I think it'll be worth it in the long run, knowing that it's been it's it's gone so many miles. Yeah, that'll be just it's a great a, moment when I get them like signed. The, it's like your traveling pants, your sister. Yeah. <laughs> You and Rick just sit down one day next to each other on a bench. You straighten his little bow tie he's got on and his little V-neck and you just tell him the story about the volumes of the flu for him. So like, <laughs> Gen Z knows. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> picturing it right now in my mind's eye. What a show. What a show we had this evening with uh, at Panooch, essayist, legend. Yeah. Are you, you're going to be at the, you're going to be at the meetup, Panooch. That's right. I I will be at the meetup. I will try to be less scathing. You know, I mean, yeah. we have people that are listening to this show for the first time, always interested to try out Usagi, that are now spending that money <laughs> on to find Dakin. copies and burn it. That's what they're doing. <laughs> they're buying yeah. the Dakin <laughs> issues that Jonesy talked about in issue three and four. No, please, I was so naive back then. Please don't. Five and six and seven and eight and nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Why did they cancel my dick? And... It only uh, lasted no, that long because you were buying them. <laughs> <laughs> Josie was the reason, the one over the threshold that kept the series yeah. going. Uh, we asked Tom Brevoort and Tumblr. That's what he'll tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Panooch, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Panooch, thanks for we'll coming send you on, the man. info about the required tattoo. <laughs> uh, we'll see everybody at the meetup. Goodbye. What was your lightning round? I think I had a rebuttal. You did. I wrote it down. Uh, <laughs> Batman Superman number two. One Maybe of the greatest stories sucked. One of the greatest Superman pages, probably, well, let's just say the greatest New 52 Superman page I've ever read, where he interacts with the Earth 2 
what I assume is Earth to the Earth to Kent Kent's. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me see. I screenshot this like nine times just to get the full effect <laughs> in a row. Just the same one. <laughs> I just kept doing it. I didn't care how many times I did it. He's like, uh, your phone like, stream has a thousand copies <laughs> of it. He's talking to Earth Two Superman, and he's like telling them to get the hell away from him. And he's he's like using you know non PG words. Mm-hmm. And the Earth Two Superman is like put off by this, just by his language. Yeah, I think and, he specifically uh, just says language. Yeah, yeah, he's like language. And Martha goes over to New Fifty Two Superman. He's like, "Come over here, so I can see you, young man." And Jonathan tries to stop her. He's like, "Let go of me. I know you. You're my boy too, aren't you?" So she sees this like mirror image of her son. And Does it say boy number two. Like he, she calls him boy two. boy two. So Earth Two Superman's like, "I'm not so sure." I was never that wild, never so out of control. And Martha says, maybe this boy's just lost more than you ever did. Tell me, Clark, where were you from? You didn't lose us, did you? Mm. And that in like four pages tells you all you need to know about New 52 Superman. Done. That's it. It was amazing. my point stands i look that that sequence is Uh as good as it is because of that art the entire thing is done in in silhouettes it's it's beautiful the whole book is beautiful to look at but i still i still spent i would say the first half of this book not sure what was going on I didn't the know Batman's, who was on which Earth and and why. Yeah, the I Batman care. stuff was hazy. Like I couldn't you remember like what happened at the end of himself? one. Well, I but mean, again, there was there was a few. There's a few, you know, uh, small scale interactions where, whether it's a line or some of the body language, things like that, that were enjoyable. But, I, yeah, I think you know, I, I wasn't sure who was on which Earth. I wasn't sure which Batman I was looking at, and. I mean, at one point, at one point, I guess it's new 52 jeans, um, jeans t-shirt Clark says, what the devil? And I thought that I was watching, you know, I thought that I was watching uh, a Seth MacFarlane show. (laughs) I just was so confused. I I, I heard it as what the deuce. The whole thing was very strange. I just, I can't possibly picture Clark Kent in any version rendition of all the different earths and new 52 i can't picture him ever saying what the devil i i think that's amazing that he said that <laughs> it's just strange it's that patented panooch negativity yeah oh my gosh he's one of this book he keeps his grounded here book. on paper keg uh, when i when i looked at this the first thing that i said when i, I wrote it down i was like wow it's all Jay Lee. Before I even opened the book, I was so oh, thrilled yeah. that mm. I was. This book was already setting off to a better place than the first one, and I just. I think by the time I got to the what to, what the devil line, I was so confused as to which Earth we were on and which characters I was looking at. I was just frustrated. Penegging over here. <laughs> <laughs> Jones, he's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. Everyone. It's been too long. I think that was the only rebuttal that I had. I might have had a rebuttal agreement, maybe. I don't remember. 
you had a uh, you had a rebuttal sideline story that you met. Oh right, uh, Fat Avery. Yeah. yeah, you met her. I did. We uh, we partied it up at the Eisner's. Was that what? book good? Was that uh, like, yeah? Was that yeah, I mean, I liked it? Yeah. It was a, it was a book you'd keep reading, or it was just fun while you had it. I no, I definitely would keep reading it because of the ninety nine cent price point of the monkey monkey brain. I definitely would keep reading it. It um, it was just neat. It was like really slice of life. The conversational aspect of it. It sounded really like these people were just talking to each other, and I really liked that. And I liked the Renfair stuff too. That was, I mean, actually, incidentally, both books I read featured Ren fairs, Renaissance fairs in the uh, plot. I mean, that is, that um, will never happen again, too. But, I mean, the yeah. chances of that happening. Yeah, exactly. And and that, and that was because Avery Fat Bottom was hyper purchase like um just this afternoon i saw a tweet about it and i was like oh let me check this out and it was uh it was really cool uh, a little it's a little fast paced but she tried to get a lot in there you know her management of the uh, renaissance fair and stuff was really cool the the aspects how they how she, you know the inner workings of what has to go on and there's can this you, can you imagine a hardcover anthropomorphic renaissance fair <laughs> anthology happening did you just jeans are they don't want to be a player should i uh, be lip singing this like i'm going to drop this joint <laughs> That's what I. That's what I hear when you pose that question to me, Panooch, How long does it take you to write a review of a comic book, uh, <laughs> on average? Uh, hour and a half, two hours. Contractually, <laughs> two hours. Two hours. I'd say from reading it, taking notes, writing, editing, final copy. Yeah. Do you? Um, here's a question for you. Mm. Do you? take notes on all your comics or do you know which comics you're going to be reviewing when you before you start reading those specific issues or do you read 80 issues like you did and, and you just pick a couple out well that that the 80 issues that was abnormal um oh yeah I, yeah i i didn't take a single note on any of that i just needed to catch up so um that was that was purely that was awful um but no i i usually try and if it's a book that I know I'm covering already, uh, whether I've been asked to or it's a book that I'm supposed to be covering, um, then I'll take notes throughout. Uh, if it's if otherwise, uh, it'll be something where I'll, I'll read it. I'll sort of write like a, a couple sentences afterwards just to jog my memory, um, and then I'll sort of pick from a group of mm-hmm. them. I try, I try not to write about books. I try to pick the books ahead of time because what I find I end up doing if I don't is I only write about what I like, and then I think that, that ends up skewing it where it seems like everything you write about is positive. Peter Travers gives every movie two thumbs up. You know, I, I just, classic. I feel like that's I need, Travers. I feel like I need to, to cover some stuff that's not always great, um, but I always hate doing that. You know, when I'm writing yeah. a review and I'm going to give it a bad score or a bad, I, I feel guilty, and I'm waiting for someone to be mad about it creators mm. included mm. yeah I, I i completely agree with that um because you, you know why 
it's tough because you know you try to like I know in Paper Keg if I give something a bad review it's it's because I just want to bring some comedy to the show or whatever real talk <laughs> hashtag the flap but I mean you don't want to spend your time on negative energy when you could be talking about something that's good right uh, and 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 even if it's a ba- something you didn't like just the thought that I mean these people poured themselves into this project and you can stand there and kind of like be negative on it when they spent hours of work and whatever else, probably yeah. maybe emotions at, at certain times. It's tough to think about, you know, somebody just able to just rip it down and, and you know, just one with just a couple sentences. It's got to, it's got to be hard for creators. It's, and, and I've had the opportunity to, to get stuff, um, you know, that I'm asked to look Drugs. at and review oh. and, and mm. it's a creator who, this is their first thing, you know, and, and I, uh, and if it's not, if it's not great, I will come back to it a day later and read it a second time in hopes that, you know, I can come at it with a different perspective because that's what I have in my head. You know, if one of the earlier reviews is coming out about your first work is negative, then, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that could, that could prevent somebody from ever checking it out that may have enjoyed it. And that, that's something that really eats at me Yeah, when I, when it, when when I do look at that, because you know what, if it's, if it's someone who's been around for a while, like, I'll be very honest, this Wolverine run, this di- new digital book, I do not think it's that great. I, I mean, it's what, fine. What book? The, uh, Japan's most wanted. Thanks for your time. Um, <laughs> you know, when you look at that in comparison to what Marvel has released as their infinite line so far, and this is, book is gorgeous. A, a $3 book. I, I just, I don't really I'm not enjoying it as much. And for a book that's supposed to be scripted by Jason Aaron, like that's not something that I, I don't hesitate, you know, to be honest about that one, because I don't think Jason Aaron's ever going to care, you know, but if it's somebody who's never written a book before, and this is their first issue, I I will give it a second read because I don't want to tear something down, um, you know, and, and, and sort of cut. But if that author was Stan Sakai, you would, he would drop his pants and spread a cheek immediately. I would would tell him that his his first arc was excellent. You would take your, (laughs) you you would use the Wazakashi small sword and take him out at the legs. The, uh, I think I had to read, I haven't read the third chapter of Wolverine's most wanted yet, but it's very, New reader friendly, very mm-hmm. new reader friendly. Like not this that is issue. like, not, oh not issue, three? issue three. Oh yeah. really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Have to read it. Mm. I the mean, book is it's gorgeous though because it's like hyper HD graphics. Mm-hmm. I really love the art on it. it I don't feels, even have. It feels like a big summer action movie. You know, there's there's not much explaining. It's mainly fights, and and I think that's fine. But if this is going to be your your first endeavor into a regularly scheduled infinite book, when you look at what Bendis was putting out with the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, four issues before this, I mean, the art on that, the quality of the storytelling, and every book was, you know, touching on a different character. I just, this seems a little dumbed down. Oof. Man. Wow. Guy brings it. He brings the honesty. Brings you know, the heat. Give him that. Brings the digital heat. He's shooting for I don't that think I said a positive thing tonight. What about that Batman sixty six story? What do you think of that? I like that. I I didn't read four. I didn't read issue four. I read the first, uh, you know, one, two, and three. 
Well, you know, it's weekly. <laughs> did Dale, did you just freak out that he got to an issue four? And just the mere idea of you getting four issues into a new series makes you, like, skip a beat? <laughs> How's there four issues already? It's, it's weekly. Weekly. It's four weeks. Good grief. I thought yeah. that you no, were just, like, freaking fun. out that someone had the time to read four issues of a book. <laughs> no. You're like, four, my God, four issues. I read 84 issues in the past two days. Uh, 84 issues plus plus Usagi. Plus this week's books. We're almost at the 90-minute mark. I don't want to scare anybody. Wow. 90 minutes. Well, this has been trash anyway. This last 10 <laughs> minutes, let's be honest. We're already Get getting the Panooch review of the podcast he was yeah. just on. It's just yeah. been me. I feel like somebody brings something up that I can talk nicely about. <sighs> Usagi Steel the movie. Volume 3. I, there was two different things there. Man of Steel. I want to hear it. I haven't seen the movie yet. I don't feel the need to. Oh. Um, Let's speak about it. I liked it. You know? It, Thanks for your time. I thought it was better <laughs> than anybody expected it should have been, considering what we got the last time we had a Superman movie. Um, I think it's better than anybody expected when they signed Zack Snyder on. Mm, sure. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, the the movie is beautiful. The movie is beautiful to watch. I would watch that movie on mute. Yeah, it is. But, yeah. There you go. There's something positive. Man of Steel was good. I'm going to go see The Wolverine. I'm excited because that's actually getting positive buzz, too. Yeah, I th- and I, I want to go see it. I hope I get to. But Hugh Jackman is just like the classiest guy ever. He's still married to his wife of like 20 years or something before he became an actor. That's not even possible. That is physically impossible for him to stay married. Mr. Jackman could do it, though. I mean, unless they worked out some kind of arrangement, if you you follow me. Hmm. Arrangement. Why would you say that? I mean, I, I I don't think it's ever happened. The history of people becoming large movie stars, marriages that have happened before the big change, have never succeeded. That's just fact. They find some highfalutin lady of the night or just some sexy little minx and then they're signing those divorce papers. See you later. That's what happened to Patrick Hernandez. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he gets the best of them, fame. Do you think he's, uh, do you think he had a wife? Patrick Hernandez? (laughs) I think he's going to be a barcade in Philadelphia on Saturday night, is what I think. I was not surprised. It would absolutely not surprise me if you have had reached out to Patrick Hernandez's <laughs> camp to see <laughs> to see what he's doing July twenty seventh. Can you imagine if he was in town within the tri state oh area that God. weekend? I would uh I would definitely be contacting the uh, his agent, his his somebody. His agent PR is guy. like his brother or his, his whatever person he's dating with or fornicating with. It's like That's his high his school agent. age nephew is his agent. He just he just puts on a deeper voice when he answers the phone. <laughs> yeah, he probably does. Hold on a second. Let me get Mr. Hernandez. <laughs> Footsteps. Yeah. He does like the invisible escalator walk behind the couch even though he's on the phone. <laughs> yeah. So our wives are going. My wife is going. Confirmed. I think Dale already knows this, but my wife will be attending in some manner the meetup. Snarling in the corner. Yeah. Just have to get you know, her all liquored up. Against her will, yeah. 
We'll take the bus back home. How long are you going to be here, Dale, this year? <laughs> okay, let's ride that wave. Of, <laughs> we let, For the record, we left at like 12.30 last year. I mean, we didn't close the place down. I had a pregnant wife. She was over it. Everybody was drunk but her, trying to introduce themselves to her. You'd think she had, she had no fun. <laughs> this year, it's all, it's all different. She's uh, going out to get some dinner. Well, we, uh, you know, get a nice baseline in us, and uh, we'll see what goes from there. I haven't heard an answer. And if to my she forces, she tries to force me to leave. I'll run down the street, and she won't catch me. So, <laughs> what would that accomplish? <laughs> You'd still leave the party. You'd just be <laughs> just, just be two and running your little New Balances, seconds. kicking up and down while you're running down the street in your polo, reflective. <laughs> I can still see his reflectors. He's, he's still running. Oh, he's going to show back up to Barcade. A sweaty mess. 20 yeah, minutes later. Lost her. Looking over his shoulder. Did I lose her? I got five I more it, minutes. Guys. I did it. Uh, Panuch rebounded there. You know, he brought some, some positivity back in my life, but mm-hmm. some negativity in Dale's life, which in my book, that works for me. I don't think I, I said be one. I don't think I said one negative thing to Jonesy. Thank God. I don't know if I can handle yeah. your intense trolling. I have, to, I have to come back for another episode. i got to make up for that. Mm-hmm. No, don't feel the need to. <laughs> I mean, come back, but don't feel the need. I think the first, first 10 minutes of the pre-show was just making fun of Jonesy and his microphone. Oh, it was <laughs> pretty intense. Skin. And the slick back yeah, hair. It was... And the hair, yeah. Count Jonesy a over there. <laughs> I did find this, but I didn't get a chance to listen to it, so I don't know what's in it. Jonesy, do you have a spotlight facing you? <laughs> There's actually four lights on me right now. Oh, yes. There will be blood. 